Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right here is some of the places where I'd found the material where it had washed down from the hill slopes and against the sides and all down into this sinkhole area, concentrated by the action of erosion. This is where the runoff came down. So we're talking the impact site. How far would you say up this way that would be? Okay, so the impact site started basically right at the base of that little hill right there, and it came down this way. It's the, the furrow, the gouge mark left by the object that was dragging across the ground. Being here and seeing the actual site, seeing the levels, seeing how everything runs down here, it makes complete sense to me what Frank has come up with. It's perfectly logical. So it is this arroyo? Yes, it's this one right here. This is the one where it came in and left the gouge mark. So it skipped the hillside. You know, I was really skeptical when we first came out, and I expected to see a place where humans were and that you would see evidence of humans. You would see trash, but... Now that I've been out here, there's no trash. There's no proof that anybody's been out here. So it's really surprising that Frank found metal here. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Frank Kimbler, welcome, I believe, for the very first time to Somewhere in the Skies. Oh, hey, no kidding. Uh, missed talking to you before, but not this time. You've got me You've got me right here, right in person, right, right here. So, right here, right here in the crash site. If you're watching this episode, guys, Frank has a wonderful background for us about what we will obviously be talking about tonight, and that is the Roswell UFO crash a case near and dear to many people's hearts. But, um, Frank, I mean, there's been a lot of talk recently of UFO crash retrievals, uh, wreckage, this huge story that just exploded into the mainstream, which we will touch on later in the show. However, those are just stories until we actually, you know, see, touch, feel these things that they're talking about. And you are one of those individuals who's actually done that who's gone out to a ufo crash site and found things and had them analyzed um so we're going to talk all about that tonight obviously um we're even going to talk about the materials that you handed over to me and i had tested and the results were let's just say interesting we have developments on that as well um and some new things you found out there at the Roswell crash site, but I'm getting ahead of our entire conversation, Frank. Let's go back. Let's rewind. For those of our audience who may not be familiar with you, um, 
what made you want to become a geologist and what actually brought you to New Mexico? Give us the origin story, if you don't mind. You know what the um, uh, it, it's it's an interesting pathway. We all we all lead lead like pathways to certain things. And when I was uh, when I was younger, I didn't really think about being a geologist. I, I started out being kind of like a pre veterinary medicine person. Um, but I got interested in the geology side because my parents would take me out. Uh, we'd go rock collecting. We loved to drive on old back roads and explore ghost towns and everything in the desert southwest. And uh, and I love going out panning for gold and and looking for uh, looking for things like that. So it was really it it was it, it that's what led me down that path to uh, to be a uh, to be a geologist. And then when I moved out to Roswell, Roswell Roswell was kind of interesting for me. I I always uh, I always loved uh, you know the the stories about Roswell, but I didn't know that much about it. But when I moved out here to work at the New Mexico Military Institute as a uh, as an instructor, uh, teaching geology or sciences um, for uh, for both college and high school, I I, I took a keen interest in uh, in doing the 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 Roswell story, and I wanted to apply some of my scientific knowledge to try and find some touchy feely stuff out there. Uh, not just pictures, but uh, but some things that might have been left over in 1947. So I guess my my question to kind of play off of that is, did you have any knowledge, foreknowledge of the Roswell UFO crash? I mean, I would imagine moving to Roswell, he must have known something about the case or heard the mythology behind it. Uh, what was your interest in UFOs prior to moving to to Roswell? Yeah, you know, uh, interesting thing. Prior to moving to Roswell, uh, it was uh, just films and documentaries, like a lot of people have seen before. Um, and I, um, I, I just took an in, a more of an interest to it since I moved out here. I'm going, well, this is cool. And yeah, I'll, I'll have to admit to this that it was probably at least six months after I moved to Roswell before I went into the uh, International UFO Museum, and I was walking through the museum there. I'm going, you know what? There's um, there's lots of eyewitness accounts. There's lots of information here, but there's no physical evidence. And I'm going, oh, I've got a little project that I'm going to be working on since I, I live here now and I work here. So I spent the time, I bet I probably spent two or three months sitting in uh, the library, reading every book, watching every blasted documentary that there was on Roswell and I'm going, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to go out there and I'm going to use my knowledge as a geologist and some science. And I'm going to see if I can find some debris that was perhaps left over by the military back in 1947. That's the story behind that. Uh, it ended up being a, a quest uh, looking for it, it's it, it's like looking for a treasure, like looking for a lost treasure. You get kind of obsessed with it. And, and I still am because I, I like, I want that proof. And then at a younger, when I was uh, before, long before I moved out here, I was traveling across the United States and, and I saw uh, a, a UFO here in New Mexico. It was uh, far up in the sky. A friend of mine, we were camped out at, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the campsite. It's up by uh, Las, uh, Las Vegas, U Lake State Park. It's where we were camping out mm. at, uh, and um, 
the Ute Lake State Park. We were camped out there and what uh, my friend of mine, we were sitting by the campfire and he says, he says, hey, Frank, he says, look at that. And I looked up in the sky and I says, oh, that's a satellite. You know, you see them all the time. Little little point of light just drifting across the sky. He says, no, watch what it does. And I watched it for about another 15 or 20 seconds. And this thing made a perfect zigzag across the sky. And I'm going, it was making right angle turns. And then it disappeared over the horizon uh, in the blink of an eye. And I'm going, oh, I uh, just saw my first UFO. So that was pretty exciting. And I, you know, I, I think since since that time, I've, I've had an interest in UFOs. I, I know that uh, a friend of mine was into Project Blue Book uh, when I was like 12 or 13 years old, 14 years old, whatever. Um, I really enjoyed looking over. He, he subscribed to various UFO magazines when they were really popular. And I just got into it at, at, at a young age. It's fascinating. Tell me about it. Yeah. Age 12 for me, brother. So I'm uh, I'm getting up there in ufology. I'm no longer one of the young guns, as they call them. But but um, oh, that that is what it is. Um, well, OK, so you move to Roswell. You hear the story. You start going out. How how did you find the site? I mean, you know, my first time being out there was in 2018 with you. And let's be honest. I mean, throughout the decades, there have been, you know, rumors of where the site was. People say it's here. People say it's there. This, that, this, that. Um, how did you personally triangulate or find the actual crash site? I, I'd love to hear how that process went. Okay, so it's it's well noted as to where it is now. It's it's documented fairly well. However, back when I started, uh, it wasn't well documented as to its location. So what I did was I um, I watched um, I watched some documentaries, uh, especially that and uh, in, in read about the. Uh, the two Sci-Fi Channel digs that were out there, and I read the documents that were related to that. And they didn't give any locations to it, but they had they made one tragic mistake. Uh, they put some pictures in there, uh, some aerial photographs. And uh, so being a geologist and knowing how to look at aerial images and such, uh, what I did was I call it back engineering. In fact, this picture that you're seeing right here, uh, which actually helps a lot. That was one of the pictures that I originally saw. And I took that image and it took me a day or two to sort of triangulate where it was out there. And then I had it. Um, once I zoomed in with Google Earth is a marvelous piece of uh, research material, but I was able to zoom in on the site and find the exact location. And then uh, the researchers like Don Schmidt verified it uh, for me that I was actually in the right place. So um that that was the hard part. It didn't take me long to find it. And then I just went out, did a just went out there and started exploring is what I did. So um Right. Well, and you know, the image you're seeing here, and if you're just listening to this episode, guys, I would highly suggest watching the YouTube version. I do have visuals tonight. Uh, because Frank, this is a screenshot of the television show Mysteries Decoded that you and I took yeah. part in. Yeah. And uh this was at your military institute. And this is you showing me the, these topographical and aerial shots. And if I remember correctly, another interesting bit to this, how you kind of discovered this, um, there was 
two images you showed us. One, I believe, was from something like 1946 and then I think 1952. And there was a 54, excuse me. Thank you. Thank you. And there was a huge difference between the two that kind of led you to also believe that this could be the site. Is that something you could share with us? Oh, absolutely. Um, Looking at um, before I went out there, I did lots of investigative work, of course, and I compared the 1946 images with the 1954. I couldn't get anything uh, after 47 other than the 54. So the uh, comparing the two images side by side uh, led me to believe that there was definitely some disturbances out there and that was worth taking a look and sort of honed in on the specific area because of what was showing up in the pictures. This image right here is from 1954. It's the first aerial photo I could find of this area after 1947. There's something that I kind of honed in on in this picture pretty fast. And you'll notice this white area right here. There are a series of steps. Can you see the little white steps? The little steps. I refer to them as dozer tracks. It looks like the sharp edges of where bulldozers have come in and sort of scraped the land. The military was cleaning the area up and they were very systematic. Now, if you come over here on the 1946 picture, that line is gone. So this has been changed between that. The damage that was done to the area happened after 46. Now, what happened to the land between 1946 and 1954? I have actually found metallic artifacts within this area and along the edges of those dozer tracks, small pieces of material. Those are, those are easy to do. When you can compare and sort of flash the images back and forth, same resolution, same, uh, same size pictures, it's kind of like they do to find planets up in the uh, new planets. That's the way they used to do it. You could uh, flash the images very quickly and watch for very subtle changes in movements on the film, and that's exactly what I did with this. Right, right. And then the other interesting thing uh, while visiting the Institute with you that you showed us was this state-of-the-art augmented reality sandbox. Um, Describe this for us. I was stunned when I saw this thing. I think I have an image here. Let me pull that that up. The the sandbox is is absolutely amazing because you can project um, topographic landscapes on top of it and uh, draw in the sand and have it recreate the uh, the location. So what I did was I built uh, the crash site in the sandbox so that I could show where the um, where the the object came down and where it traveled to um, basically or not traveled to, but the, this call it the the fur or the skid marks that it left. And that's It's a fun tool. I use it in my classroom for uh, basically uh, topography and geology related things. And it gives the students, uh, they they go crazy when they see it. I love it. And again, this kind of showed, you know, for me at least, and you can see the furrows that you've created in this image that we're looking at here of um, the, the water and how the runoff would eventually lead anything from the supposed impact site of the Roswell UFO. Um, yeah, you know, the, the greens in direction, uh, right? Yeah, the, the greens and the browns are, uh, are of course, higher ground, and then that light blue is, is the lower lower terrain. 
Um, so it, it makes it really easy to sort of highlight and show people what's going on. So what I used to teach school with here, it's a, called an augmented reality sandbox. And this is a nice digital representation of the crash site. And you can make it rain simply by holding your hand over the top of it like this. You can make it rain so you can actually get a picture of how the water actually rolls off the land and where it accumulates, which is what I use to help locate some of the, the artifacts. So utilizing this, can you explain the crash site to us? Oh, absolutely. The object came in out, out this way, and it came in this direction, and it made what's referred to as a furrow. It spread out kind of in a V-shape, and then according to the eyewitness accounts, there was also a gouge mark. And it's kind of an interesting thing because the metal artifacts that I have found seem to be centered right on the area where the gouge mark is. How big was this crash site? This area is probably maybe uh, twice the size of a football field. But the debris was scattered for a distance of more than half a mile. So, okay. So you use this, um, you, you find what you believe is the site, um, you go out there. So that's where um, I think a lot of people out there want to know, what did you go out there with? What sort of instruments or tools did you use to start looking for uh, wreckage, for debris that might have been left behind? Uh, yeah, give us an idea of what was yeah, kind of sure. your, no. your arsenal. Um, yeah, my arsenal of tools. Of course, it was the 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 uh, the maps, but I went out, and in fact, this is the location right here. It's just, just in the background behind me. Um, I went out with a Fisher Goldbug metal detector. Uh, it can find, it was an older one. I still use it. The thing is amazing. It was like the either, I think it was like the second gold bug that ever came out. Uh, that thing is so, uh, powerful and so sensitive that it can detect a BB size gold nugget down to about three inches. And I used it. I used that exact same metal detector in uh, Arizona and also here in Arizona to find, uh, thousands of dollars worth of, of gold nuggets. Uh, so I'm very good at using it. And so I took that out there and I started sweeping all of the runoff areas. Um, in fact, you can see one of the runoff areas directly behind me in this image. So I started sweeping the area with, uh, with the metal detector. And I got news for you. I was out there for a good solid six or eight hours swinging that metal detector and didn't find a thing until the end of the day. And then I got this beep in my headset because we were in a headset at the time and uh, got pretty excited. I was in an anthill, so I, uh, I I dug down about an inch into the anthill, and here was this tiny little piece of metal. And the scary part about it is I, when I held the piece in my hand, I'm going, oh my gosh, is this a piece of an alien spacecraft? It was so lightweight, it blew it out of my hand. And then I had to go and spend another three, four minutes trying to find where it had uh, hit the ground. <laughs> um, that, that's a true story. Um, so um, that was the first find, but it was not easy. Like I said, it took a god uh, six or eight hours of sweeping the metal detector, and I didn't find anything during that time. So my arm was about ready to break off, and uh, it was uh, getting towards the sun was going down. I didn't. I'm very persistent, very tenacious when it comes to looking for things because I I knew something was there, and then uh, I found that piece. Um, and that's what started. I named it AH1, stands for Anthill 1. And uh, that's what started all of this, the whole thing, because then I 
came back at uh, later times, and uh, that's when I found the buttons. Um, uh, was following week, following day. I can't remember. That was a long time ago. Uh, but I found the buttons. That's that's them right there, and uh, in these pictures. So the military buttons uh, were found, and there was three of them spaced a couple of feet apart. Uh, they have been identified as uh, basically military fatigue buttons dating somewhere between like the late 40s, early 50s. So I know they were out there. This stuff was buried three, four inches deep in hard pack clay. Uh, so they were old, really, really old. Um, and these are cool. I think this is probably one of the coolest things that, that I found, which is, you know, if you want to think of smoking guns, you know, Military can't say we weren't out there because these buttons are military fatigue buttons, and I found three of them out there. So they were on their hands and knees, maybe digging up stuff, or uh, I don't think they had an orgy out there ripping the buttons off, but <laughs> they, uh, they were. there's definitely military buttons, so they, they were found out there. Right. Well, and the big thing about this, too, is I, I was I was stunned when you showed me these buttons and you were able to you know, uh, get them analyzed that they do date back to when the actual crash happened. I think a lot of people's question is, well, they, they got everything, they recovered everything. And these things, you know, they, they would have, they would have found everything out there and cleared it. But I mean, come on for anyone to believe that they got every single tiny piece that was out there. Um, it makes perfect sense, especially when you said these, these military officers sent out there to clean up the debris site uh, were on their hands and knees. It's very possible. So a button or two popped off and they'd never noticed. Um, the other big thing is you said that they were found, you know, below the surface. And this would make perfect sense deep, since deep. so much time has passed, right? Deep. You know what? I don't know whether anyone has ever seen, I, and I'm sure lots of people have seen pictures of aircraft uh, crash sites. Uh, the debris is scattered everywhere, uh, and, and it makes a uh, it makes it makes a mess. And the the pieces, yeah, some of the pieces are really big, but some of the pieces are so tiny uh, that they're going to get buried. And you have to understand that back in July of 1947, that was it was raining, it was storming. Um, Stuff could have been washed down animal burrows, uh, carried down, uh, carried down slope, washed into little gullies, uh, covered up by gophers. Um, all kinds of things can happen, and so the idea of the military finding every scrap, I think, is is kind of bogus. Uh, they could not have found every scrap. Um, so I've been to other types of like super secret sensitive, well, not really secret, but uh, things that were military origin. Uh, one of them was the um, outside of Albuquerque, there was a broken arrow event where on approach, uh, the aircraft literally, the Bombay door opened up and they dropped a uh, hydrogen bomb um, basically as they were coming in for a landing just outside of Albuquerque uh, to Kirkland Air Base there. And when that thing hit the ground, of course, if it would have exploded, there would have been no Albuquerque left because it was, in fact, a hydrogen bomb. Uh, but it uh, it had some some detonators on the inside that, that essentially blew up. It scattered stuff uh, over maybe half a mile or a square mile. Um, military went out there. They supposedly cleaned it all up. Of course, that was a top secret piece of equipment there. Uh, they didn't get it all. Um, 
because some acquaintances of mine uh, had gone out to the location, which was documented and uh, with metal detectors, and they found pieces of the hydrogen bomb. Um, I have pieces of that as well. Uh, so they, you know, the government claims to find things, and even the SR-71A crash sites, uh, which was a top secret, you know, spy surveillance plane, uh, when those things crash, they scatter stuff everywhere, and people to this day find stuff with metal detectors. It's, you can't, you can't not find stuff. If you know what you're doing and you have a good metal detector, you can find stuff. Not an issue. Right. Right. And so we're going to get to kind of my portion of this investigation with you. Um, but I do want to mention, you know, this, this area is vast. And I think my, my investigative partner that looked into this with me, Frank, uh, a Navy veteran, Jennifer Marshall, extreme skeptic, went, went into this thinking, oh, this, this kook is going to bring us out to some random part of the desert and there's going to be Coke bottles out there and, and beer cans and, and that's what he found. Um, but man, we got her on camera literally admitting this is, this is not what I anticipated. I, I, I had no idea how remote this area was. No life out there whatsoever. There'd be no reason for anyone to be out there partying, drinking beers, shooting off guns. I know there was ammo found out there at one point, military ammo as well. Um, so I mean, just going out to the site, man, it, 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 change the mind of an extreme skeptic in my partner almost immediately. You know, um, up on the ridge, uh, actually it would be to my, let's see which way it is, whoop, uh, to my left. Um, so actually be, yeah, to my left um, in the picture. Um, up on the ridge, I was out there with uh, um, Hanson uh, from Factor Fake. And um, we, we, yeah, Ben Hansen. We were out there uh, with metal detectors, and we we and it's a good distance from this. It's probably quarter half a mile away. Uh, we found uh, some um, snuff cans, tobacco cans up on the up on the ridge, and uh, some uh, of all things a, a button from coveralls, but they were uh, modern around uh, what appeared to be a, a camp a camp thing up there. But that was a good distance from this. This particular site, which is directly behind me, there, there's nothing, there's nothing out there. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's no, there, there's zero trash, nothing that you can see, uh, you know, that that people had been out there. Now, interesting thing, the little white area that is behind me, if um, looking at the image, if you look to the right, just below that hill, um, there was something kind of odd back in there. And what, what was odd is that, and these are old, it looked like somebody had taken uh, several cartons of nails and just scattered them all over the hillside. Now, this this is an old trick. It's uh, it's used to uh, basically throw people off when they're looking for things. I know that when I was hunting gold nuggets, uh, when people would find uh, an area that had some gold nuggets in it, they would frequently go back to keep uh, if they if the information got out, they would frequently go back and throw a bunch of nails and odd things in to discourage people from finding anything. So. Um, that's really the only thing that I have found uh, out there that was might be considered trash. But uh, you know, as far as like the buttons and the little bits of metal, they were they were buried deep. So 
um, it's remote. You can see in the picture, there's not much out there. Well, okay. So I guess my next question, Frank, would be before we get to the first initial testing of, of some of these metals, in total, how many pieces have you uncovered uh, out there at the crash site um, to the best of your your memory? Over the years, probably 20 or 30, of which uh, I don't have very much of it remaining, probably less than half, maybe a third of it. Um, uh, some of it was destroyed during testing. Um, some of it uh, during the um, little misunderstanding I had with the uh, um, Bureau of Land Management. Uh, some things were distributed around the country to make sure that they didn't get, uh, didn't, didn't get taken away. So uh, that's, but I have a little bit of it. Yes. Uh, in safekeeping. Okay, good. <laughs> that's very good to know because yeah, a lot of people don't understand that for a lot of these tests, uh, things do need to be destroyed, broken down, dissolved in order to do a proper analysis. So it's unfortunate, but you know, that that's sometimes the only way to, to test these sorts of things. Am I correct? Yeah, no, no, it, it, it is. There are ways to do testing on this material that is relatively non-destructive, but there's only a handful of labs that can actually do it. And it's very, very expensive. Uh, NASA is one of them. Uh, you can take a tiny little piece of something and analyze all the isotopes in it and everything without really destroying it. Uh, the tried and true method is uh, using uh, uh, ICPMS and it's a uh, fancy name for basically you dissolve the metals or whatever you want to look for in, uh, in, in a liquid um, and uh, could be an acid, whatever. And then you put it in the machine and analyze its spectra. Uh, you can get down to parts per billion with that. Uh, but it's also in the process you end up destroying the entire specimen uh, while you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the sacrifice of science, right? Um, well, okay. I want to get to the first testing of some of your metals. But you mentioned the BLM, the Bureau of Land management. This was a very yes. interesting story that kind of happened. Um, this is actually, I had met you at a UFO conference years prior. However, um, this was the first time I had seen your name out there, like in national news. And this was because the Bureau of Land Management actually wanted to have a meeting with you and possibly even confiscate some of your material that you had found. Would you mind running us through this yeah, story? You know what, that, that whole thing, and I'm, I'm not going to beat up the Bureau of Land Management because that whole thing was a, uh, was a misunderstanding more than anything else. Um, uh, they wanted to see it. They wanted to talk to me. Um, I don't believe their intentions were to confiscate the material at all. Um, and uh, I can't beat them up. I, I think maybe that, uh, well, you've known me long enough to know that sometimes I get a little excited and, and but I, <laughs> my, as, as I get older, I have, uh, I've come to the point where uh, I, I don't, I try not to, I try to think through things a little bit. And this was something that, uh, I, let's just put it this way. Uh, I misunderstood their intentions and uh, they didn't, mean to do they didn't mean to scare me that's essentially what it boiled down to so it, it's all everything's fine and uh, it's it's 
you know, it made a big splash because I made a big splash out of it. But if I would have let it alone, it probably would have been okay. There you go. I, that's what we need to hear, man. I wish more people would kind of take that very, um, you know, very, how would you even say it? Um, mature route when it comes to this, because there's so much conspiracy theory that goes with a lot of this. And um, look, your, your involvement with this, you know, Ryan, I've made, I've made a lot of, I've made a lot of mistakes, Ryan. And I, and, and a lot of, and we learn from our, uh, we learn from our mistakes and, one of them is uh, I got to learn not to be quite so hot headed about some of this UFO stuff and, and, and just apply logic and some science behind some of the stuff that I do and kind of think through it before I engage my big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to ufology, my friend. I wish again, I wish more people would, would use you as an example for that. Um, but besides the BLM thing, there, uh, there is another sort of conspiratorial angle to a lot of this you got tests done with some of your materials and i want to kind of walk through the process of your first tests with these and what ended up happening with some of these materials so yeah can you kind of walk us through the first time you you got these and uh and got them tested yeah tell us who what where all right so the uh uh so the very first test that uh, that i had done was was on this sample called ah1 and uh, the uh, AH1 sample, I basically uh, contacted the uh, New Mexico Tech over in Socorro, and they analyzed it with uh, a scanning electron microscope, and they gave me some elemental stuff on it. And it came back as being a rather interesting alloy. Uh, might have been an aircraft alloy, might have been unusual, uh, just, uh, just looking at the compositions of it. So uh, I elected to, uh, to have some magnesium isotopes done. And, l- and let me explain what that does. Magnesium isotopes are like a fingerprint. Uh, they will tell you where this stuff comes from. And uh, it can tell you whether it uh, came from the moon or whether it came from Mars or whether it came from some uh, extraterrestrials, some, some other star someplace. It can even tell you what part of Earth that it that it came from? Did it come from out of Africa? Did it come from the ocean? Because um, we did a lot of mining, uh, both in Africa, and, and it can tell you, it can narrow down exactly where this stuff comes from. So I had some magnesium isotopes done through uh, um, Evans Analytical, it's a, a EG&G, and uh, I didn't tell them that it was Roswell stuff, I told them that it was uh, some air, an aircraft um, crashed aircraft that I found and I wanted to find out where the magnesium possibly came from. So they analyzed it for me. And uh, when the results came back, I, I can't say that I was stunned. I was pretty close to it. <laughs> when it came back, I'm going, well, this is, uh, this, this signature is not, uh, it's not earth. Uh, it's someplace else. But then going back and looking at the data very carefully, cause I took a lot of scientific flack on that. Um, I looked at it, and what happened on that is the resolution of their instrument was not very high, um, and it was right at the margin of error. And I'm going, yeah, it's at the margin of error, but it's not dead center. It's on the outer margin. So I elected to have some more work done, and this is where some things got very interesting. Um, that uh, Some arrangements were made with uh, ASU, Arizona State University. 
And uh, there was only three people that knew about the research that was going to myself, the lab technician and uh, another, or the lab manager and, uh, and a geologist that set it up for me, uh, who was also a UFO person. And so um, we made arrangements to, to I, I wanted to hand deliver it, but I elected to send it out. Uh, so um, I sent it to them. And, and this is another thing that I've learned to deal with now. You always take pictures of things. You always like make, you, you do, you document everything very, very well before you send it out. So I sent this material out FedEx. Uh, it was uh, essentially double packaged. It was, uh, or triple packaged and even tape was around the object. I put the object, my family saw it. My family saw me put the, the, uh, the fragment of AH1 in the plastic container and then it was all sealed up and uh, sent uh, FedEx. Uh, well, when it arrived at the lab, I get this telephone call that said, uh, where's the sample? And I'm going, the sample's in the plastic container uh, that's inside the FedEx package. And the lab manager looked at it and uh, said, well, there's a plastic container. The plastic container is all wrapped up with tape, but there's nothing in the plastic container. And I'm going, I put it in there and then we started going through all the steps. She says, well, it sat in our, uh, in our shipping receiving area for a little bit more than an hour uh, before I got it. And it got there and it was sent FedEx. They even paid for the FedEx shipment to go out there. What happened to that sample? I don't know. I blame them for it because I think when they opened it up, a static might have lost it or something. I, I, this is another one of these things where I was putting the blame on them ASU. And because of that, they said, oh, you know, we're, we're not going to do anything for you again, because this made kind of a splash. And, and I, I should have just kept my mouth shut. But uh, it was one of these things where I got pretty upset about it, because that was 30% half of that specimen gone. Um, and that is not a good thing, because that one was a very small specimen to this day. Um, I don't know what happened to that sample it just completely disappeared at least that's what the lab manager told me and uh, asu was not uh not happy with me for making a big stink about it because i said it was their fault when it may not have been their fault but who knows um that was all over the internet all over all over media that that was available to me at the time and uh it disappeared um now uh i did have somebody email me um it was Alejandro Rojas. Mm. So uh, Alejandro sent me a, uh, an email and he said, Frank, he says, did you know that you can open up a, uh, a package using ultrasonics and uh, then you can seal it back up again and nobody knows that you've, you've gotten into it. And I'm going, really? And I did some research on that. And that's actually a fact. Uh, you can use some ultrasonics to, uh, to open up packages, uh, sound waves and, uh, take the material out, seal it all back up again. It doesn't even look like anybody's touched it. Uh, way cool. Um, just adds to the conspiracy on this. And to this day, that uh, that package has, has, the package is there, but the contents of it have disappeared. Now I'm careful. Now I either hand deliver uh, the specimens, um, and it's always better to hand deliver and be present when analytical work is done to make sure that it's done the right way uh, and that there's no mistakes on it. Because I know enough about it now so that uh, I'll realize what goes on if there's mistakes. 
Uh, now, I, and yeah, I have shipped some things out before, but it's all been photographed and documented by multiple people. So now I, I haven't lost anything since then, not a single thing. So that's the story behind that one. Yeah, yeah, very interesting to say the least. Um, now, were there any other tests done uh, between that one and the one that I did in 2018? Had there been any other testing? Yeah, there's there's actually, there there's there's one other isotope test that uh, came out as being inconclusive. It's another one that didn't quite show up right. And it was essentially on that same, same specimen, another one. So there was two tests done and, and they, they weren't exact enough to get the answers. And then some of the other fragments uh, have been analyzed and they have come back as being um, uh, granted. I, and I will admit to this, uh, there was uh, one or two pieces came back as being um um, aluminum can material. Um, that's easy to recognize because that stuff was found uh, essentially on the surface and it's very shiny. So the material that is found on the surface and is very shiny is, may have been trash um, and how it got out there and shredded up into little pieces. Uh, I have some scientific speculation on that, that it was probably whipped up in, uh, in cow feed or something and the cows ate it and like essentially pooped it out. Uh, don't know for sure. Uh, but the rest of this stuff, the old gray stuff is different. It's thicker. It's not shiny. Uh, it's, it's corroded aluminum and it's been out there for a long time because it's been buried really, really deep. So, um, that's the, uh, and anyway, getting back to the analytical work, uh, some of it, like I said, a couple of pieces came back as being trash. I will admit to that, uh, where it came from, I don't know. Uh, but there are some people and the people, there are some people, great, there's people out there. Uh, there are some, uh, there are some of the fragments that came back as being, uh, alloys that are mysterious if you want to think of in other words i i, I can't figure out what they are uh, aircraft alloys uh maybe how they got there i don't know um there's also some unknown some unknown alloys um there's like a catalog you can plug these chemistries into a catalog online and it'll tell you what alloy that it that it's made out of and uh, what the designation of that alloy is and uh, some of the pieces are unknown alloys. Um, can we make them on Earth? Yeah, if we put the right chemistries together, we can make the stuff. But uh, other than that, that's that's what I found. Yeah, right. Okay, so let's fast forward to 2018 when I was working with this television production company. And uh, we went out to the crash site with you. I think I have... Yeah, I've got an image here. Um, this is you oh, yeah. bringing, yep, Jennifer and I out there with your son. Um, one of the right. one of my bucket list moments of my entire life, Frank. That was just uh, incredible. I will never, ever, ever forget that day. Um, and yeah, you kind of ran us through, you know, why this was the site. You showed us the arroyos where the impact was. Um, the area kind of where we're standing is where some of the debris was found. And um, you entrusted us to bring these somewhere to get some of these uh, tested. And um, I'm just going to be Frank. Uh, Frank not you, Frank, Frank, but Frank in general. <laughs> I'm going to be Frank. I was extremely uh, disappointed in not only the 
initial results given to us by the lab, uh, but how the entire thing was handled. Um, so I kind of want to walk through that with you, if you don't mind. Sure, um, sure. Going up to 2018, uh, this is me holding one of the pieces that you showed me. And again, these materials were so light. It, it, it just astounded me. You know, when, when I was holding these, I was... I, I just couldn't believe that <laughs> whatever this was, was as light as a feather. Inside this container, they are the material that I picked up out at the debris field. You can see how they're all twisted and mangled up. These specimens are untested, but these are some of the things that I would like to have some really good science done on these things. Would you mind if we held them? It's fine. Go ahead. Sure. You're not going to get some kind of disease off of them or anything. This one, to me, is interesting. It looks like it's almost curled back. It's bent. When metals are subjected to a lot of stress, they fold and bend and twist around. And not only that, they, they usually end up being small pieces with jagged edges or the edges might be melted. It seems to fit a scenario that something crashed at a high speed. And that is the kind of thinking that I went on as well. This is insanely light and very, very strong. You're right. It's incredibly strong for its size. Um, but not only that, it was bent, it was curled back, um, which kind of deduced to my partner and I that whatever these things were, were under high stress and some sort of, you know, really extreme uh, either heat or, or some sort of um, pressure. Or, or impact, if I'm not mistaken. Is that kind of what you you deduced as that well? Is, uh, that is true. Under a microscope, you can see that some of these have, uh, they're, they're melted. Uh, uh, some of them have uh, what are called explosive curling. Uh, so when you look at it, they're curled up. Uh, that looks like it's been, uh, like when you shoot a when you shoot a can or you shoot a piece of metal, uh, as the bullet goes through, it kind of curls up on the backside. And this, and this shows explosive curling. It also shows some rather interesting things. Uh, it shows uh, explosive impacts. So there are uh, several of these specimens that have holes punched through them. And these holes uh, are generated by explosives. How do I know this? Or it's been, been through an explosive event because... It makes that same, when you flip it over, it's indented on one side, but on the other side, you can see where the, whatever projectile was exited. It literally curls the metal back and folds it back on itself. So yeah, it's, it's been through, for lack of a better term, a lot of these pieces have been through hell and back. So a little unusual. Unusual. And, and does make you wonder, you know, had they been through some sort of explosion, um, which could mean a million things, but could also mean some sort of craft making an impact and, and essentially could. exploding. It, it could. The Somewhere in the Skies podcast is free to listen to every week. But if you would like to help support the show, we have a very active Patreon page where you give what you think the show is worth. In return, you'll get early access to the main show, bonus episodes, and priority to ask our guests your listener questions. Your support truly makes the show continue and grow. So, to learn more and to join, visit patreon.com 
slash somewhere skies. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I want to get to, you know, what we showed on the television show, which was very little. Again, um, something I wasn't too pleased with um, in terms of uh, the work done by the lab that I worked with. And I'm not casting shade. Um, they did what they did. Uh, it is what it is. I wish there was more due diligence and follow up with that. Um, but between you and I, we were able to get the the results of the tests. Now, in the show, we showed um, the two of the individuals who worked with us, um, very nice guys who, who did the tests. And it came back that um, most of it was just aluminum, which on the surface seems very normal prosaic but the further you dug into the actual results the more uh, it wasn't so simple um none of this ever is so if you don't mind frank i'm actually going to pull up the the results that we got um oh, absolutely so this is one more image i'm going to show this was atlas testing this laboratory is where they had, uh, this is where they were dissolving or had dissolved the specimens and they were getting ready to test it which is what Correct. the little vials are for right there that's the the liquid itself that they did the testing on yep so i believe it was six samples we gave three were inconclusive due to um organic material being found on that. them yeah that was interesting i didn't quite understand that um could you demystify that for me? Is yeah, there a can, logical explanation for that? I can I can try to demystify that. So three of the samples came back. They said they couldn't they couldn't uh, analyze it because there was too much organic material. Um, when they dissolved it, there was a bunch of organics that showed up in the liquid. So uh, here's here's one here's here's two scenarios on that. Um, Number one, they didn't clean the samples uh, because the samples were uh, semi-clean out of the ground directly from, from me. Uh, so they should have cleaned them. They should have cleaned them with, uh, with maybe alcohol or benzene or some kind of organic solvent just to clean the surface to get any contamination uh, on them off. So 
possibility uh, the organics might have been from uh, from the site. Um, now, the other scary thing is that uh, if the samples were cleaned and they dissolved them, that means there was organic material within the metallic structures, and that becomes a problem, and I'll tell you why. Yeah, what is that? Uh, <laughs> I don't know of, of you know, the technology. This this falls into the realm of, 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 of essentially organometallic or organic metallic alloys, uh, which exist, but um, why we would why they would be out there, I don't know. And if the fact that they couldn't analyze them because there was organics tied up in that aluminum kind of alloy, that is pretty exotic. So it was either a legitimate mistake or it's something exotic, and now we have a mystery on our hands because we don't have any analytical data to go because those sent to go along with this because the samples were destroyed. <sighs> this is just me living in regret. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. You uh, that you know, if you remember correctly, I said, Hey, can we get the liquids back? Right. Uh, uh, never got the liquids back. And that's because they were considered hazardous materials. So they could not ship those liquidy things to us. And that is really tragic because we could have taken that liquid and had the liquid analyzed even further. So that would have been amazing if that could have been done. So that was, I wouldn't say fishy. It's just they're following the rules and regulations for analytical laboratories and through the mail system. But I think if it was sealed properly, they could have sent it through UPS or something, uh, ground. Um, I would have gone over and picked it up by hand if they, they if that would have been the case, if they would have given it to us. So. That's neither here nor there. Those are the only two scenarios. Either there was something really weird in the samples or the samples were not cleaned properly before the test. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, for the other three samples, we do have those results. So I'm going to go ahead and pull those up here. Give me one sec. See if I can do this. All right. There we go. Um, So we've got... We've got the official results here, and I kind of just want to run through this. There's four pages, Frank. Um, let well, me know yeah. what's what's important and what's not um, as I'm scanning here. I know it might be a little hard to see. Let me see if I can zoom this in. Oh, there. there you go. That's good. Oh, now I can read it myself. Since uh, there we go. <laughs> so I want to go ahead and start with... Um, the first page here that we see there. Is there anything interesting on those top results there of NH1 and DF31-5B? Uh, actually, there is. Uh, the the one that's uh, the N, N1-1, um, this just basically what it's showing is it shows the amount of molybdenum in there, which is was uh, this particular one we wanted to have it analyzed because there was this some analytical work that was done at another lab showed a very high concentration of molybdenum and this just basically showed that uh, there wasn't three percent molybdenum in this there was 0.004 so that lab which was up in canada and i wasn't present during that analytic the analytical work on that that was another documentary on another tv show uh, and this is what happens when when the science when a scientist, mainly myself, uh, is not there to question the results as they come out. And it took me a while to get those results back. 
So there was no molybdenum in it, which means that they made errors or basically made errors in their isotopic work that they did when they said it was um, terrestrial and not extraterrestrial in origin. Uh, anytime you make a 3% error in the concentrations of stuff, that means your lab techniques are not very good. So hmm. anyway, so this this was good. The, the N1-1, 98.6%, it just shows the major concentrations of, of elements. And then as we scroll down, there's more. And then the DF-315B, um, once again, shows uh, very little molybdenum in there, but it shows that it is has a, uh, a high um, high aluminum concentration, 92.5. And then we get we kind of boil down. Now, this one is interesting. Uh, the one called MAGSTRESS. Um, MAGSTRESS uh, says 0.04 aluminum, 0.002 molybdenum. Um, and this one was, uh, the reason why it's called MAGSTRESS is because this was a piece of iron uh, that I found buried three or four inches deep. Uh, no rust on it, not a speck of rust. Hmm. Something buried in the ground that long should be rusty. This thing was not rusty. So we analyzed this. And when we scroll down, I'll tell you there was a problem with this when they analyzed it. Now, here's okay. the other part. Uh, SH1 couldn't be analyzed. That was the one that uh, was really weird because uh, SH1 uh, was, that's the top one on this. Uh, SH1 yeah. was one that we were looking for molybdenum. They didn't study it. Roswell sink, uh, once again, organic material and untested, uh, could not be analyzed uh, with their, because of organic material. They basically, the lab said that they couldn't touch these because the organics would clog up their little atomizer nozzles that they had and they, they couldn't mm -hmm. do it. Um, the rest of this is just, they were using the National Institute of Standards traceable um, elements in that as, as a standard to, to compare against. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Let's now comes the fun part. Okay. Yeah. This is the page I was looking forward to. Now we really get in the weeds of what was found in these. Yeah. And in, uh, N1, the N1 sample, uh, 0.05 copper, 0.5% iron, uh, small amounts of gallium, uh, more than half a percent of magnesium, some manganese in there, uh, nothing in nickel, silicon, it's got 0.29 silicon. Uh, the rest of this is sort of insignificant uh, that's, that's in there because it's very small. Um, they basically came back and, oh, back up to this. Oh, sorry. Scroll back up. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, they said that this uh, was basically a 3004 aluminum uh, alloy, uh, similar to a 1100. Uh, they were wrong on that. Uh, because I right. sent this over to, um, I sent this data over to, well, it, they used to be Alcoa and I had one of their, uh, they've changed their name cause they've, the business changed. Uh, so Alcoa is a, uh, aluminum manufacturing, uh, company and they make all kinds of alloys. And, and I had, I had those people looked at it and they says, well, no, this is, this is not a one, one, zero, zero series alloy and it's not a three Oh, Oh, four alloy. And they gave me some some samples, some examples of what it might be. Uh, so they were wrong on this. Uh, a three O four is definitely an aluminum can. So, but it's it didn't it doesn't it doesn't match an aluminum can. And um, so it's not an aluminum can alloy. It's basically end up being huh, kind of an unknown alloy. We have no idea what it is. Can, could we make it here on Earth? Yeah, we could make it. 
but it's an alloy that is not common. And that's what it basically come out to when I did more research on it. Interesting. Now, when you did that research and you said, you know, it, it could be made here, um, but what would it, would something of that series, that high of a series, I guess, uh, what would that be made for? If I could, it's ask? not even a, it's not even a 11, it's not even a, a thousand series alloy. It's something else. Thousand series are used for uh, pie plates and uh, um, basically aluminum foil. So it, it, they were completely wrong on that because to say that it's a 304 aluminum and that it is a 1100 is, is, the two don't even match. You can't even put those in the same, uh, the same area. Uh, mm-hmm. So they were wrong on this. And, and I caught that real, real quick. So, right. Um, I remember getting the voicemail from you. <laughs> yeah. That was the interpretation. That's the one I got rather hot about on that. I'm going yeah, these guys are all washed up. They, they have no idea what they're talking about. So. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. Anything now this one interesting was- here. Yeah, this one was uh, this one was interesting. Um, this one, you know, one of these. This one came out as being, and I I don't have that. Um, I don't have that. I made up a, a graph, and and I, you know, what I should do is, uh, Ryan, is I, I'm going to send the I'm going to send the graph to you where it compares these things. Oh, great! Uh, you don't have that graph. I'm going to send that graph, and that graph actually compares. Uh, some known things to some unknown things. And it's a very colorful graph done with, uh, and I, as soon as we get done with this, I'll send it out to you. Okay. Um, because to try to explain what's going on here, uh, this was another one that basically ended up being kind of an unusual alloy. Uh, so it, it might be an aircraft alloy of some kind. Don't know why it's out there. I don't know, but this was another one that was uh, scroll up a little bit and let me see what they said it was on this one. Ah, they didn't have any information. You can just keep going down on this. Okay. So this one was, uh, yeah. So this one ended up, oh, let me see what they got. Uh, now, this one, this one is, uh, this one, they were correct on this. So I stand corrected on this. This was a 3004 alloy. But notice, notice, they compared it against a 3004 aluminum standard, and it mm-hmm. matched. However, the 1100 series and the 304 doesn't match. So this one, I will admit to the fact that this one was, in fact, similar to a 304 alloy, which is used for the sides of aluminum cans. That's what it's used for. That will I admit to. This one, they did right. Okay. The other one, the 1100 series, wasn't right. But when you look at these, like I said before, and I'm uh, I'm not trying to hide anything or allude to anything, there are three or four different kinds of material out there. Some of it is bright and shiny, and that's modern stuff. The stuff that's buried is the stuff that's really old. Um, oh, the mag stress. Uh, this one, do the math. Take 88.9% iron and add in all of this. Where's the rest of it? Hmm. That's all I've got to say. Do the math on this. <laughs> Interesting. Something's not, something is not right with this. I have no idea where the rest of this is, but the, you know, when, anytime you weigh up this, it should be really, really close to hundred percent might be 98 or 99. But if you do the math on this, I don't think this comes any, I mean, look at the numbers. You've got 88.9 iron, 
Uh, the rest of these are really tiny. The, the other one is 0.7. Okay, so that takes us up to uh, 90, give or take a little bit. 0.3, yeah. I'll, they did something wrong on this because it doesn't add up. Hmm. It's not there. So uh, the results on this were bogus, completely bogus. Okay. And see, like, this is a learning process for me because I, you know, going into this project, like, I, I was told this was a very prominent metal testing lab, and I'm sure they have done great work in the past. However, it seems like they did make a lot of kind of amateurish mistakes going into this. Um, well, I don't know. know. What do you them, think? I, you know, one of them was not cleaning the material. Um and granted, some of this stuff was folded over, but they could have unfolded it. They could have uh, stuck it in some like um, organic solvents to. Uh, it's not going to hurt the metals any to get rid of that surface uh, surface stuff that's on it. Um, and um, they could have done been careful. The one that's really disturbing is this iron one. This iron one just doesn't match. So they they put wrong numbers in there, um, and I don't know why i mean i'm it, it's pretty easy anybody that looks at this you can add up all these numbers they do not come out to anywhere near not even 95 percent. i don't think it comes out to even 95 percent. so where's where's the missing percentages of this it's all gone um right so it's uh and it's it's a big chunk that's missing so we're missing data on this either that or i'm missing something uh look at it yourself i mean you can just glance at it i'm i'm I know the math, uh, 80, 80, uh, we're talking 89% roughly, and then add up all those small numbers, and they don't even come anywhere near 95 or 100, not even close to it. Hmm. Right. And what are what, whatever those other numbers are, what are they is the real question, too. Well, yeah, that's, that's the thing. I don't know what the others are. Uh, it could be all the rest of the elements. If they are, what elements are making this up? Um, yeah, you know, we've got copper, we've got iron, we've got, uh, we've got nickel and silicon and titanium. Um, there could be carbon in it. Uh, if this was a, a high carbon steel, uh, there could have been uh, quite a bit of carbon sitting in there, but they should have noted that, uh, of course, then they would have come back and said there was organics in there, which would have been weird. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, there's some stuff missing on this. And like I said, the missing stuff is, is intriguing. Uh, it doesn't have anything here that is uh, just looking at it. Cause I've looked at a lot of, I, being a geologist, uh, I've, I've sort of turned into a, a metallurgist, a, a, a well as well, looking over this, this material and in the concentrations of stuff. Um, there's, like I said, there's stuff missing on this, but there's nothing in this that looking at it, the way it stands, there's nothing in it that's unusual. So, uh, you know, it should have small amounts of copper. It should have, uh, of course, it should have lot large amounts of iron. It's going to have some silicon in it. Um, so it's um, it's it's unknown to me. I have no idea what they did on this. Okay, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Yep. And you know, I take I take a good portion of responsibility for that. Um, and I just wanted to kind of clear the air on that because I think a lot of people were bummed when like we didn't. Find you know, a, you know an what, Ryan, I, spacecraft. <laughs> but you know these uh, these production companies have a budget, and uh, I wish that. And, and this is what I wish upon any production company that that I deal with. I wish that I could have gone there and witnessed what was going on, because I would have caught 
the things that are going. Same thing happened with the material that was sent to uh, Trent University um, during another show, um, not one that we were on, but a different one. It was through the Discovery Channel. Uh, they uh, they made mistakes up there, and I would have caught those mistakes firsthand um, if I would have been there to see what was going on. So this is why somebody with some scientific knowledge needs to be there. Now, I will have to mention this. Um, bless their hearts. Uh, ancient aliens, all right? So they, on their relics of Roswell, I'm going to have to say that they did they did good work, uh, good analytical work, except the really sad part about that is they left out some of the best parts. Uh, it would have extended the show and would have made some uh, would have made some interesting things. But uh, they did they did some good work on that. And uh, I was there when they did a majority of it and the rest of it was done um, off site. But the off site work was through a trusted friend, not mine, but the gentleman that did the original analytical work, uh, which was Theta Plate. Uh, name of the company, they are a plating company. Had they, they, it's got some nice equipment for analyzing stuff because he does government contract work. Um, his good friend did the work on it, and I've got the analysis back. But some of the cool things that they found, they didn't talk about. Uh, there was barium found in some of the samples. And the so barium, what is that? Uh, it, it's an element. You know, it's similar to the barium, you know, when people do like barium enemas or whatever, or swallow barium to have uh, their intestines looked at for, uh, for x-rays. Barium is very heavy, but barium is also a byproduct of nuclear testing. And oh, wow. uh, the interesting thing is uh, several of the samples had a, a relatively high barium content. And the cool thing about that is even if it was not part of the alloy itself, it would indicate that the metals came from the time frame of the, it might've been a fallout that was left on the ground. So it came from somewhere near the same level uh, or that level. In other words, it got contaminated from fallout from our first nuclear test. Um, which would be significant because then that would help to date the material sometime um, closer to the crash event. So that's why it sparked as being, and they found some other things too. They, they, they also found some weird uh, silicon tubes and stuff under the SEM. And, and they even admitted that it had been through an explosion. I'm going, what the heck is this stuff? They didn't really talk too much about, about that part. They left it out, which was sad. They should have done more work on it. Yeah. But they did good work. What they had, they just didn't do enough. But they right. sent it all to me, every scrap of it. There you go. Hey, that's that's all you could ever ask for. God bless. I was talk talking to Giorgio actually right before we got on here, Frank, and he yeah, was, I like was so excited to hear that I was interviewing you. So he sends his best. Um, and yeah, oh, yeah, I I got to watch a little bit of that before we got on here, and they did they did really good work. So I, I definitely give them you know, credit for you that. Know, people people out there in the UFO community have a tendency to uh, sometimes bash ancient aliens, but you know what they they. They have, if they have the right person telling them the right direction to go in, uh, they do good research on some stuff. I mean, say what you want. I, I was impressed by what they did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, okay. I guess, Frank, I do have some really good listener questions for you. 
Um, oh, I'd love but, these. Got really yeah. Sometimes these are they catch be me fun. off guard. I'm waiting for that. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to get to those. Um, two last things I want to ask you before we get to those, however. Sure. Um, the first one being, with all of the materials you've had tested, um, you know, even the ones that we, we worked with, Atlas Lab and everything, um, what do you think is the most compelling or intriguing thing that has been you know, uncovered so far with all of the materials? Does anything really stand out to you as highly anomalous? I, I think, you, you, you know, being a scientist, I cannot come out and say, I have extraterrestrial material in my hand. I can't do that because you need to have, in order for something to come out right, you need to have three independent laboratories that are good laboratories confirm the exact same information across the board. I've never been able to have that done. Uh, we get onesies, maybe twosies, but not not the third one. And it's usually something goes wrong or things disappear or whatever. Um, so and it gets to be kind of scary on that. So uh, here's what here's what I've got. I have material that is odd. It's anomalous. Does it have the uh, magical properties that uh, that people the Holy Grail where you like you know hold it in your hand and let it unfold? No, it doesn't have that. Uh, do we have some things that are intriguing uh, as far as metals that are sitting out in the desert? Yeah, we do. Uh, they are uh, they are intriguing things. They are um, they're some of them are different, different in that uh, they're essentially unknown types of, of they're unknown alloys. But once again, they can be made on Earth. They they're just different combinations of of elements, and it might have been errors in the work that was done on it previously, but some of the work was really good. So it becomes, it's still a mystery uh, in that I would like to say, yeah, these, these are extraterrestrial in origin, but mainstream science uh, needs to look at this stuff and they need to look at it very carefully um, and say, Hey, yeah, you know, you've got trash from out there or you've got ET material out there, or you have pieces of stuff uh, from, uh, airplanes that blew up in the sky or something. People need to look at it, not just a geologist that works at, at, at a local school in Roswell. Um, you need to have some good scientific evaluations of this material, and that has not been done yet. Hmm. That's fair enough, man. I, I love that. That's, a, a, again, a responsible answer. Um, okay, so in terms of new stuff, new discoveries, within the last few weeks you've been out to the site, with a fellow colleague of ours, Chuck Zukowski, actually. Yes. And um, tell us how that experience was. We found more stuff. Is this correct? You know, yeah, no, this was this was a whole crazy trip. Um, and when I mean crazy, it was, uh, for one thing, it was dead quiet out there. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't any noise, a very little breeze. I think the breeze was like maybe five or ten, five miles an hour at the most. And and I know that because uh, there was a uh, truck was flying, trying to fly his drone and I'll get to that story. And, and he did fly it eventually, but uh, started looking for things out there and had problems with uh, what's called the ground balance on the metal detector. So the ground balance is that uh, it's the, the ground makes a lot of noise and it's I call it static and you can correct for that. So I had to manually correct for static more so than I've ever done before. Uh, yeah, the ground, it probably had rained, uh, a few, few days before, because once you get down about three or four inches, 
the uh, the ground was a little damp, not wet, it was just damp. And that that every time the ground has been damp out there, I've actually found material. Um, however, um, looked around for a while and uh, we, we found some stuff. Um, but uh, we found two, two metal fragments spaced probably two, three feet apart, uh, buried once again a couple of inches deep. This is a, a picture of one of them right here. Uh, but here is the, um, the, the ground balance thing was, was bugging me. So digging this stuff up was pretty exciting. Uh, but we directly behind where you see the truck up on the ridge over there, there was an interview that lasted maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And the camera guys, uh, basically they hadn't turned their cameras on, uh, this was new. The batteries were brand spanking new that they, and they, they mentioned this afterwards, but we went up to film and during the interview part of this, not one, but if I remember correctly, two cameras failed simultaneously, the batteries drained and they were gone. Mm -hmm. And we, as we were walking back, they said, we're going to have to reshoot this because uh, we lost, uh, we lost information. We lost film. And I'm going, well, this, this is, uh, this is crazy. And, um, LA was with us and, uh, he's the gentleman standing there with the, with the, uh, light colored cap on. And, uh, he, he basically said that, no, we, we got, we got the material that we needed for the film. Um, but he, it, it was just, that was strange. So we started in, in we started walking towards where the buttons were found and, uh, we walked in, and there was one camera rolling and they had audio on it and everything. And we were, we were walking out direction of where the buttons are in about two thirds of the way to the buttons. Uh, the camera, camera guy goes, uh, we lost all audio. It's gone. And I'm going, what? And they said, yeah, the, the audio is gone. Uh, and they lost audio until we got to where the, um, where the buttons were located and then the audio came back on. And uh, he had marked the area where the, the audio loss was. And then we went back and there was no problem with it. So Chuck had a tri-field meter and a tri-field meter shows magnetic fields. It shows um, electromagnetism. It shows uh, all kinds of things, but it shows three. It shows magnetism. It shows uh, electrostatics and it shows uh, uh, one other thing. It's just called a tri-field meter. The ghost hunters use it a lot. It's a nice meter. And he says, hey, Frank, take this and just kind of walk around and see what you find. So I was walking around and that thing was doing bizarre stuff. Um, it would be all quiet and then it would make a, a jump, uh, a real jump over to it's got a scale from one to 100, but it would make a jump to 10 and then like instantly, almost within the blink of eye. And then it would go back down and then it would creep up to maybe like onesies or twosies and it would stay there for a little bit and then it would go back down. And while I'm doing this, Chuck is trying to get his drone to fly. And he says, I can't get the drone to start. So I'm going, what? He says, no, the drone will not start. I can't get it to fly. Eventually it did fly. So between the tri-field meter stuff and the ground balancing and the missing, uh, the whole, I've never had experience that out there. It was bizarre. Uh, to say the least. And, and I'm, a, I'm an open-minded scientist. I'm going, you know what, this is to have all this electronic stuff going on out here is, is, is strange. Mm -hmm. um, I've never had it happen before, although I've had the ground balance issues out there before. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it was all the rains that, uh, that 
caused some disturbances or maybe there was there was something going on. It was odd. It even felt odd, which was um, kind of interesting for me because my son's been out there with me before. He won't go out there anymore because he said that uh, uh, it creeps him out because he gets odd feelings. Well, when I was out there this time, I got odd feelings like I haven't had before. So I'm going, all right, this is this is strange. I, I don't know why I was doing that. Uh, maybe it was alien ghosts or something. I have no idea, but it was... Uh, <laughs> It was uh, it was a very strange day. It was a fun day. Um, professional film crew that's out there. I can't wait to see this. It's a little documentary that's going to come out here probably in August, uh, and I can't wait to to see it because it was it was all uh, well. It was done very very well, and they um, they they got the discovery of the metal um, on film, which is only the second time that that's ever happened. So it's all very, very well documented and even some talk about the strangeness that was going on out there. And it was it was all shot live. So I'm going, this is this is pretty wild. So I'm hope I'm not disclosing any too much of anything on this, but it was an amazing trip that was out there and we found two pieces of metal. Now, as far as analytical work, I'm trying to get in touch with some labs right now. They have not responded to me, which is uh kind of interesting because a lot of times when I make requests, uh, the they don't respond and I have to uh, send out multiple, sometimes even have to call up. Uh, sometimes they won't respond, uh, but usually the universities are good. So I'm trying to contact universities to have the work done because they, they do some of the best. And if worse comes to worse, I will uh, contact the folks that did some work with ancient aliens and I'll say, Hey, how about analyzing this for me? And now I'm sure they'll be glad to do it and they won't charge me much, but I wanted to get a, um, um, I wanted to get a university to look at it. That's where it stands. Well, nothing, uh, nothing earth shattering yet. Although this is the piece that you see here is one of the two pieces that, that, uh, were found. I found them both. And, uh, that looks identical to this one's really dirty. I, I hasn't been cleaned up. That's what it looks like when it comes out of the ground. It was buried two, three inches deep. Um, lots of ground balancing static all in the area, like I said, but it was, uh, it was a fun day and I didn't expect to find anything at all. Um, so this was uh, kind of a neat little discovery out there. I More things it. to be well, found. Exactly. More things to be found and analyzed. That's, all we can really ask for at this point. Um, awesome, man. Well, hey, let's move to these listener questions. You know, I I promised you we wouldn't we wouldn't be here for four hours like coast to coast AM. As much as I admire their work over there, but um, well, I do want to get you out of here. <laughs> four hours is good. I know we could talk for four hours on or off camera. Um, let's start with this listener question um, from Ryan on Facebook. And he asks, have any of the pieces you found been looked at by Gary Nolan? And if so, what did he make of them? Have you ever worked with uh, Dr. Gary Nolan? No, I have not worked with Nolan. And as far as I know, uh, he has not looked at this this uh, material at all. I don't even know. I don't even recognize the name. If I did, maybe it's my COVID brain cells that are short-circuited or something. But I don't remember the name at all. Okay, that's fair. I know he worked on some materials with Jacques valet and possibly to the stars academy when they were still oh, in which case uh, 
in which case, no, but uh, I can tell you that Hal Putoff looked at some of this material early on. Uh, basically, the, the answers that I got back from them were kind of sketchy and inconclusive, so I didn't trust the results that I got back. It wasn't to the story. That was Hal Putoff that did the work at his EarthTech lab. Uh, didn't like the analytical work that was done. Uh, they had an error. Hard to explain. The, the, I don't think they did it right, but later on when I got the isotopes back, Hal Putoff contacted me and said, hey, if you want to get some more work done, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll pay for it. I never followed up. Um, I hate to say this, didn't trust him at the time. So, um, Interesting. God's honest truth. So that's where that stands. That's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, Eric on Twitter asks, why was there... Uh, why was there remaining evidence? To... Oh, that this is a good question. Eric says, why was there remaining evidence to begin with? We kind of covered that in terms of why there would still be stuff out there. You know, it's uh, it's interesting thing. All right, so the story behind Roswell and the, uh, and, and the recovery, um, many, many days, uh, military basically walking side by side, some of them, according to the stories, on their hands and knees, just crawling, crisscrossing this ground multiple times, picking up every single thing that they could possibly find, uh, putting it in a bag. Um, you know, if it doesn't move, put it in a bag. I think that's, uh, Don, Don Schmidt mentions that a lot in, in his thing. So, so yeah, they, they, uh, they, picked up, they picked up everything that was laying on the surface that they could see. Now, the issue at hand comes with a, uh, a typical... Uh, crash site is that there are uh, there's probably a f tens of thousands of tiny little pieces that, like I said, get washed into the burrow holes, get carried away, blown in the wind or whatever, and recycled. Now it was raining out there and it was storming at the time that this took place, um, and so I suspect that a lot of things, a lot of the smaller stuff, was washed away. And the only way the government could have gotten it all is that they would have taken, gone in here and scooped up a quarter of a mile of land and maybe a foot deep and carted it all off. That I didn't see. So they did the best they could with what they had, and they uh, they could not have gotten all of the little pieces. There are little pieces left out there. Still need some work done on it. That's fair. Um, all right. Last listener question here, Frank. UFO detective on Twitter asks, if you ever found a piece of a craft that verifiably is alien, what would be the strategy for informing the public? And how would you stop the government from taking it and keeping it as a secret? It's a good question. Uh, these days, you don't keep, if you keep stuff like that secret, it's going to, uh, you're liable to lose it. The absolute best thing to do is to uh, contact the media instantaneously, get press releases, get the newspaper, get the media, get everybody, get get YouTube, get you, get all of the UFO people in, in the world jumping on the bad wagon and shove it all out on the media as fast as possible. Get the information out there as quick as you can. Um, you got to be one step above anybody that might want to take the material. So, yeah, if I had, uh, let's say I was to find a piece of that uh, wonderful uh, material that folds up and then unfolds in your hand, um, 
that would be an instantaneous uh, in the media as fast as absolutely possible. And that's the way to deal with this. Uh, if you beat around the bush, uh, it's things are liable to get confiscated. Um, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but basically, uh, you need to open your big mouth and run with it on that case. That's exactly what you need to do. It's my honest yeah. opinion. I love it. I love it, man. Um, well, that kind of brings us to literally today, the last few days. We had this explosive story come out in the media, uh, first through the Debrief Attack News website and also through News Nation and the investigative journalist Foss Coulthard. And they sort of simultaneously came out with a story of this gentleman, David Grush, who is now being coined a military whistleblower who uh, oh, yeah. was given information about UFO crash retrieval programs that have been going on for even earlier than 1947. Um, so before I get to the Roswell question of that, what did you make of this when this information first came forward, Frank? What was your sort of knee-jerk reaction and where do you stand right now on that entire story? It's crazy if any of this is actually true you know what the very the very first time i i saw that and uh i'm going oh yeah i like that i like the knee-jerk thing because you know i have a tendency to jump jump the gun on a lot of things i says oh great here's another one of these things where there's no proof no pictures no video no nothing uh whatsoever and uh, i even mentioned that on a couple of facebook posts and then then i thought about this for a little while and i'm going you know what i said this guy's got a lot of guts um not only does he have guts but uh, we need more people like him to come forward and basically um tell the public what's going on because the more people like the whistleblowers that come out that have verifiable credentials that have seen this stuff that know about what the government is doing. We need more of those people to come forward and to uh, and to talk about this without uh, um, people coming back and saying, oh yeah, you know, show me a piece of it. Uh, and that was my very first reaction. But when I got to thinking about what this gentleman had gone through, uh, I'm going, okay, you know what? This is This is pretty amazing, pretty startling stuff. And we need more like him out there. Uh, to come forward. Um, on that note, uh, speaking of Roswell, uh, real quick, uh, I'll, I'll mention this. You know, Ryan, a, a lot of people back, in, and people still do this today, when they go on vacations, when they find little trinkets, they stick them in their jewelry box. Uh, they stash it away, little little bits of pieces. I mean, it used to be people, oh, I have a little piece of a mummy from Egypt, or I have some sand from whatever. You know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take a wild guess that there's some people out there that could very well have some fragments of the Roswell crash that are sitting in their jewelry box that they've never disclosed for fear that uh, they would get shot or killed or drug out into the desert or something like that, and they probably show it to family members and things like that. I'd love it if those people would come forward with this stuff and say, hey, you know what? This this is what sits in my jewelry box. I would love that. That would just delight me to no end. Absolutely. Man. You know, and there have been those rumors that Jesse Marcel had some stuff stashed away in his house. Uh, I knows if that's true or if we're, uh, we'll ever see it. But um, talk about like, you know, OG original whistleblowers. That was definitely one of them. Um, 
for sure. But uh, yeah, well, so these, you know, the the whistleblowers, we just we need we need to have more like them, and uh, uh, they they need they need to come forward. They need to do this. Um, you know, I, I don't have any books out there and, you know, mo a lot of people don't know who I am except within the UFO community. They, people know who I'm at because I, I do good research. Uh, at least I think I do good research on this. No books. I have lots of little documentaries out there and, and, and such, which I dearly enjoy doing and, and things like this. Uh, and I give talks and stuff like that, but you know, it's the, the people that, uh, the people that are going to make a difference are like, the, the whistleblower um, that, that came forward. Uh, and, and there's been a couple of those that are out there and they need to, they need to speak up. Um, and they need to do that because, uh, you know, the people of the world need to know is think of, think of the technology. Uh, you know, we always like to go on the premise of national security, but um, think of the energy sector. Uh, think of, think of what it would do to society on, yeah, you know, they're going to say, yeah, it could disrupt society, but um, I don't think so. I think it would propel us into the, the time frames of like Star Trek or something like that. Maybe I'm a dreamer or whatever, but uh, you know, it, it all started in that, uh, in the, the Star Trek movie, First Contact, uh, where the, uh, the Vulcans landed. And that's what started, uh, that's what started our whole exploration of space was that, uh, deep space because you know hey they saw our signature from our first warp drive so uh, and, and that's what and then they shared all their technology with us because they knew that we were ready for it um, I think we're ready for a lot of things and I think we need to do that if we could just take enough time to stop fighting with each other on the planet pay attention to some stuff that's that's going on out there I think it would delight the world I think it would make it a much better place than it is right now Absolutely. I cannot agree with you more on that, man. Um, well, in terms of this story and Roswell, so this David Grush, he claims that at least 12 UFO crashes and retrievals that he's aware of, of intact or partially intact craft have occurred. And he was asked by Ross Coulthart, when asked if one of those was Roswell, this was the exchange. Coulthart said, what can you tell me about the Roswell craft? Grush said, unfortunately, those details were not approved for me to talk about right now. Coulthard said, it seems ridiculous to me how the U.S. Air Force changed its story. Grush said, yeah. And they added additional elements over time and tried to conflate additional programs to explain some of these events. So what do you make of these, Frank? A lot of people want to know, ah, oh, gosh, why can't he talk about Roswell? Well, he, he doesn't know. Uh, he, he's, um, and, and this is like speculation on my part. Um, he does know that the government will expand things and hide things. He, he knows that. And, and he mentioned that. He was very careful about his wording on that. Uh, so he may not know, but he knows that there was stuff that was covered up. And, and he knows that. Uh, and that is, that's the exciting part about the, the information that, that he gave, that he could give out, that he knew about. I think it was honest about what he said. Um, he basically made it known. He says, yeah, you know, the, the government hides things and the government tries to, uh, to twist the truth around. And that's what they do and call it uh, to protect national security. He may not have mentioned that specifically, but uh, that's what they do that for. And uh, he was just laying out the facts that the, the Roswell information has been distorted and contorted over the years, and it was 
essentially manufactured by the government, not the crash itself, but the stories that come out and what they found, which was they found stuff, but they covered up as fast as they could. That's my take on it. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Well, that kind of, um, that flows right into kind of my last two-pronged question for you, Frank. Um, The first being, what do you personally, as Frank Kimbler, believe crashed in Roswell in 1947? And on top of that, do you think we will ever truly know, the public will ever truly know what that was? Okay, so what crashed in, in this in Roswell? This is it was it was something of unknown origin. We didn't know where it came from. So you know what? Let's take a look. I'm very open minded. It could have been extraterrestrial. Could have been interdimensional, which is always an interesting story on that. Um, so something crashed out there. Something unusual, and the government covered up. That's my thoughts on this. And I, I have no other. I, I don't think anyone can convince me otherwise that it was not something unusual that crashed out out here uh et interdimensional maybe it was from our future who knows uh mystery to me something uh something got our people riled up uh our government people riled up and uh that's the story behind that and then um the will we ever uncover i think we will um i think if uh we have sufficient evidence right now just in testimonies alone that would actually hold up in a court of law uh, about people that have said, hey, you know, something crashed out there. The government did this. The government did that. Um, so that would actually hold up. Uh, the testimony would hold up. And I think it would hold up very strong. Um, and I think that um, I think that Roswell, the, the future of it is it, it, it'll come out. You know, I think everybody's dead now that had uh, something to do with the original crash, at least the vast majority. So now we're getting secondhand and thirdhand accounts of what uh, what happened that's passed down uh, from generation to generation. But uh, now, now I think is the time to uh, for that information to be let out. I, I'd like to see it all let out. I really would. Um, I, I think, I think the population of the world is ready for it. And I think, uh, I think Roswell is one of those things that uh, if it's not Roswell, it could be other ones uh, that are out there uh, that, that we know about. Um, and so, yeah, um, crash retrievals, crash re- recovery. I think that, uh, that we should disclose the information. And then people have been asking for that for a long time. It's coming. It seems to be fed to us a little bit at a time. I mean, with the with the Tic Tacs and and uh, those cool videos that are out there, that the, those were and when I first saw those, I'm going, okay, this one's gonna be a little bit little bit hard to just blow off. Okay, you just can't can't do that. It's it, we've got stuff that uh, that basically stumps our pilots and stumps our military, and we don't know what the heck it is. And yeah, that's that's the bona fide proof on that. So um, yeah. proof is in the pudding. I love proof like that. Yep. Yep, it seems like we're entering a new phase, man, of uh, acknowledgement that there are UFO crash retrieval programs uh, and that hopefully we'll find the truth behind some of these. And I think you're right. I think the public is ready and 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 can handle the truth of what these things are. We've been through a lot in the world, especially in the past few years. I think oh, we can yeah. handle um, anything that could possibly benefit humanity and, and give us a greater understanding of kind of where we lay in this cosmic agenda i guess so 
I, I, I look forward just as you do to hopefully more of these whistleblowers coming forward, feeling empowered to do that and to, uh, and to show that, you know, the truth will out someday, somehow, and maybe it'll be within your lifetime and my lifetime. Oh, I would um, love, I would hope. absolutely love to see it. Would love to see it in my lifetime just to, uh, just to say, ah, knew it. Okay. That's cool. So. <laughs> exactly, man. Hey, let's leave on that hopeful note. Um, the future looks bright. I can't wait to see what comes of the, the new metals that you guys found out there. Hopefully we'll get those tests and analysis done. Um, I just want to say, you know, no matter what happened with the results of the tests we had done, um, working with you was one of the greatest pleasures of my life. You gave us a tour of the International UFO Museum. I got to see where you work. You brought me to the UFO, one of the, the mecca of UFO sites. Um, it was just an incredible few days that will literally stay with me until my dying day. So no matter what was found out there, what it is, what it isn't, um, it, it enriched my life more than I could possibly ever convey on a stupid television show. Um, so I do want to thank you for giving me that opportunity and, and, and trusting me with that. And um, yeah, yeah. I want to thank you for coming on somewhere in the skies today. So yeah, if you have any last words, please. My pleasure. I, uh, I enjoy, I enjoy, I enjoyed working with you, Brian. I really have. And, uh, it was, uh, I freely share whatever I know. Anybody that asks, I give it to them. Same to you, same to everybody else. So, um, Godspeed. That's all I can say on that one. So thank you very much for your kind words. Thanks, Frank. And for any of our listeners or viewers who might want to, uh, reach out to you, is that something you're willing to give any contact information for? Oh no, that's fine. You know what? Um, I'm open to that. If they just don't like, like blow me out of the water, uh, they can go through Facebook messenger. That's fine. That's always kind of a safe way to go. Um, or you can, we can sometimes a little reluctant to give out uh, emails, but it, Absolutely. it people can find my email easy enough if they want to. So, you know, I'm, I'm out on Facebook. You can, uh, you can message me and it, it'll come through and I'll see it. And I'll say Perfect. that's probably the safer way to go. Otherwise, uh, who knows what kinds of things that'll come in? I mean, it's easy to get emails. People can, since they know I work at the New Mexico Military Institute, I shouldn't say I should just give it out because they can contact <laughs> me there as well. But uh, my information is out there. But you know, go through go through Messenger and Facebook. I mean, you've done that. Everybody's done that. It yep. works, and it's kind of a safe way to go without divulging everything. And then I would say, Oh, this looks like a pretty flaky person. I can just kind of know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And guys, if you want to reach out to me, I'd always be willing to relay something to Frank. If you need oh, absolutely. as well, if you have any leads on crash debris or, or people he can speak to or, or even laboratories that would be willing to work with him, um, reach out to me. I'll reach out to Frank. Um, let's, let's work together on all of this. That's what I always tell people. Um, Absolutely. Yeah the way to go all right my friend i'm going to say good night thank you so much for your time tonight and thank you for joining me on somewhere in the skies my pleasure
Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 